Uh, my name is Kyle Sapp. I'm the preaching minister for the Cordova Church of Christ. I'm going to need everyone to do me a favor. I had selected uh, a more speaker-worthy attire. There was a button-down black shirt with a collar involved and some very crisp khaki pants. That is my usual speaking attire. It is my favorite outfit. I left it at home, and I didn't really feel like driving to Macy's to buy another shirt because your boy, he ain't got all the money in the world. So uh, I do have this shirt on, and it's a good one. I was going to wear the Adidas jacket that my wife gave me to give me more of a like Ted Lasso vibe, but it's hot, so just give me the respect that you would give anyone normally do in a collared black button-down shirt, please. All right. Um, if you hear one thing this morning, if there's any piece of advice that I can give you today, let it be this. If your favorite cheese is cheddar cheese, you are selling yourself short. You need to try more cheeses. You deserve to like good cheeses, and cheddar cheese is not a good cheese. It does not count. It is a topping and nothing more. Now, I really love that idea. <laughs> I love that quote. I love that, that suggestion. Um, it's a little bit weird. It's a little bit humorous. It's also true. Cheddar cheese is it's lazy cheese. So if that is your favorite cheese, do better. You deserve to do better, by the way. You deserve a good Gouda or a Munster or, at the very least, a nice, light provolone. But cheddar cheese, like, only own grilled cheese is nothing more, nothing less. Now, that's actually not how I was going to originally begin this class, weirdly enough. The original beginning that I had written uh, as of October 2021 was this. My name is Kyle Sapp, and this is the story of how I left professional ministry. Because in October of 2021, I had no desire to be in professional ministry longer than 2021. And I was getting ready to say to my elders, I'm done. Um, there, are two, there are a lot of events that led to that conclusion. It did not happen overnight. Two of the ones that started it out, uh, and some trigger warnings, um, just in terms of we deal with mental health and suicide and all that jazz, um, not to all that jazz mental health issues. Um, it was the night before, it was October of 2020. And it was the night before our church was going back to in-person services. And we were doing outdoor church. Um, and it was probably one in the morning. And I couldn't sleep. And I was having trouble breathing. And I just started to weep. And I woke my wife up is like full convulsed weeping, like Book of Job weeping. And she's like, what is wrong? I said, I, I don't want to go back. You can't make me go back to church tomorrow. I don't want to see those people. I don't want to live in that world. I just kind of want to be gone. Now, the reason that I felt like this is because at the time, like so many churches in October of 2020, all I could think of when I thought about my church people were, was pain. We were a pained people. We were an angry people. At least that's how I felt. We've been dealing with the pandemic, and the pandemic, it, it divided our church deeply. And then I wanted to try, over the summer I was trying to have conversations about the mattering of black lives and whether or not you should still have Confederate monuments, which I firmly stand you should not, but that's a different class for another day. 
And it just got very tense and it got very heated and people were mad at me and I was mad at people and people were mad at each other and people were mad at the elders and I don't think the elders were mad at me. And if they were, they didn't tell me. There was just a lot going on and I just didn't have the energy to wake up the next morning and be like, hey, welcome to the worship services of the Cordova Church of Christ. I'm so glad you're here because the truth was I wasn't. And my wife said, you don't have to go back. You can call in sick. It's okay. I went back, just for the record. Like I, I took a nap. I went to bed and woke up. I was like, no, I need to do this. My church needs me to do this. I don't need me to do this, but my church does. And so we just kind of sucked it in. Uh, a couple of weeks later, I was driving um, down a... Uh, well, this won't mean anything to you except for maybe Ed and Carol. I was driving down Folsom Boulevard, heading home, and I stopped at a stoplight. There's a, there are handouts in the back if anyone wants or needs one. We will be looking at some things in the handout. I stopped at this red light, and beside where I had stopped was a train track for the light rail. And I looked over, and I thought, I could park my car there and just see what happens and just let that train come. And I'd be okay with whatever happened, preferably the train hitting me. Now, it's a light rail, so it's not like a full-blown train. And probably wouldn't have actually done much, especially with my car. But in that moment, I realized I, in that moment, I was okay with not being alive. Now, I wasn't suicidal. That is called a suicidal ideation that I had, which is different from being suicidal. And I know enough about mental health issues uh, to know that I was in trouble. And it's like, okay, that's not good. That's bad. Let's get help. And so I called my counselor, got into some counseling. Uh, and that kind of is part of the reason why I didn't begin the class with the way that I said I did. Because I'm not done with ministry yet. I'm not done with my church yet. Good news, Ed and Carol, I'm not leaving tomorrow. I don't know, and I won't say that I'm going to be here next year. I won't know, and I won't say I'm going to be there next year. I have no plans to leave, but I also no longer believe that I can control the future or know the future. And I don't want the pressure of living up to some weird standard that no one gave to me except for me. I want to live each day as I can. And so I continued on writing this class with the hope for two things. Number one, I want to say this to you. It's okay. It is okay if you are burned out. It's okay if your minister is burned out. It is okay if your minister wants to leave the church. It's okay if you want to leave the church. It's absolutely okay. You have nothing to be guilty for. You have nothing to feel ashamed over. They, if you have a minister who's burned out, they have nothing to feel ashamed over. Their status with God is not determined by their ministerial work. That's not how this works. And the American church has done a very bad job of keeping morality and the career of the minister from separate. We blur those with phrases like calling and God's will and misinterpreting lots of passages. You can leave your church. You are not enslaved by your church. And that's okay. But the second thing I want to say is this. There are things that I am doing that keep me going. And I want to share with you some thoughts. And I want to share with you not the statistics of ministerial burnout and, and all of the reasons that the books and Barna and you know, all that says. I just want to share with you my story. 
and maybe it connects. And so maybe some of the things that we'll talk about today will help you endure. I'm not going to say that burnout is avoidable. For some of you, it's not. I'm not going to say that burnout is inevitable. For some of you, it's not. Those factors that lead to all of that, they are complex and nuanced, and I don't know your stories. All I'm going to say is that it happened to me. It's happening to me. I'm not out of the woods yet. I'm still very much in that space where I feel burned out. Good days come, bad days come. There are more good days than bad days these days, but I still don't feel like myself. Uh, so that's kind of what we're going to talk about, is the goal here, right, is to rethink what we mean when we talk about healthy Christians. Rethink what we mean when we talk about um, faithful Christians, that you can be wounded and still be in the ministry. Like That's what the wounded and the healing is all about, that you can help connect people to Christ, and you will be wounded by that. I mean, we follow a dude that got wounded by that. It's okay. It's not about you. It says nothing about you but we can endure it. And if we don't endure it, that's okay too, because God still loves you. So I want to begin uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you have a Bible or a Bible app. Uh, the Corinthian church, you know, Paul is dealing in 2 Corinthians with various topics, but one of the big ones is that he's got uh, some other teachers, these super apostles who are coming in and attacking his credibility. And it's not like Paul and the Corinthian church had a great relationship to begin with based on 1 Corinthians. And usually you don't write a second letter because you're super happy with people. And so uh, he is going to argue against them, but he's going to do something that I think is really fantastic and probably a, th a, a, a different class for another day on analyzing conflict in Paul. Instead of boasting, and trying to outboast the super apostles. He is vulnerable. He is authentic. He shows his wounds. And so uh, really 12 comes out of this, this idea in 11 where he's like, look, if you don't think I'm credible, look at all that I've suffered and all that I've struggled for the gospel. Like I've worked hard. Like I'm not like I believe this stuff. And then he gets into 12 and he starts talking about this one person who scholars, some scholars are like, I think he's talking about himself, but he won't say it. Like maybe that's true. But this dude has like this weird vision to the third heaven. Don't know what that's about. Different class for another time. And he says, like, I could boast about stuff like that. But when it comes to Paul's boasting, he boasts on his weaknesses, on his failures. Because for him, these are vehicles by which he experiences the grace, mercy, and power of God. Which, before we get into the passage, let's just think about how that is contrasting to a lot of experiences with the power of God that we talk about in the American society. The power of God is your ability to conquer. In the 80s, it was the ability to tear phone books and bend frying pans. Maybe the power of God is something far more nuanced and subtle than just being able to do great things. So, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I want you to say that out loud. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power, say that with me, for my power is made perfect in weakness. All right, let's say that again. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power 
is made perfect in weakness. Way to go. Way to be the voice of the Lord, guys. Good job. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, there's a point when I was preparing for this class and I was reading that line. It's like, oh, you suck up. Paul's just that student in the class. Uh, teacher, when I am weak, then I am strong. Ugh. I want to be really careful about this passage. I don't think there's a one-to-one ratio with this passage in every single thing that we struggle with. And I think we've got to be very careful with doing that to the text. I do not believe that my struggles and the things that I have experienced over the past few years were sent by God to keep Kyle humble. I don't believe he brought, for lack of a better way, I don't want to say that because that's pejorative, members that I strongly disagree with and say other things, but this is being recorded, so I won't say those things, and we're all good Christian people. I don't believe God brought those people in my life to keep Kyle humble. I don't believe that God brought a global pandemic into the world to make sure Kyle stays faithful. I am not that important to the kingdom of God. I do sort of think he brought it because I prayed at the end of 2019 to give me more time with my son, and lo and behold, we spent a lot of time together in 2020. Different class. But there were times that, that, that I was praying for relief, and there were days where I felt that, the, that my church people were just thorns in my side, but I don't believe that that is because God was like, I need you to be more humble, Kyle. If that's the case, God is not paying attention to who I am as a person, because pride has never been my problem. Insecurity, thinking I'm the worst person in the world, I got you on that in spades. Now, the context of verse 9, though, that my grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in weakness, that, I think, defies context. That passage right there is one of those true statements that in Paul's context means one thing, in my context means something else, but still an important message for us all. In my brokenness and in your brokenness, I think the Lord says to us, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, what he's saying there is not, don't, he's not saying don't complain. He's not saying suck it up, Nancy. What he's saying is that I am enough. I am enough, and it has never been about what you do when it comes to our relationship. It doesn't matter your accomplishments or your accolades. You are enough for me because I am enough for all. In my weaknesses and in my humility and in my humiliations, God acts and he lifts me up as he promises to lift up all those who are humble and broken. And so the strength of God is perfected in my weakness because it is within my weaknesses that I experience the power of God. And by the way, the power of God is never experienced apart from the love of God. Those two things stand together. And so this passage, along with a bunch of other passages, you know, we don't have time to discuss, they invite us to sit into that space in our pain with God in our weaknesses. You don't hide your weaknesses from God. You don't think that your weaknesses from God keep you from God because they don't. In fact, God made us weak. He made us with limits. There are things that you and I cannot do. There are things Stephen does that I can't do. There are things that Virtual does that I cannot do. Those limits are designed by God. Those weaknesses are brought into the world by God. And you are not bad for having them. You are not bad for having needs and wanting to have those needs met. You do not need to hide it from others. 
You need not deny your weaknesses' existence. You need not hyper-shallowly spiritualize those things like, well, my needs and my struggles, they don't matter in light of eternity. I'm just going to suck it up and go on. No, that kind of thinking, that kind of theology, one, takes a lot of scriptures out of context, and two, it's spiritually abusive. It just is. God did not create you just so you could go to heaven. God created you as a being of love. And heaven and eternity, they are coming because this world is broken. But this isn't about escape. This is about leaning into what's real. You can be in need, and you can be okay. And that brings us to our first activity. I, I use this uh, in those moments where I am feeling particularly triggered and stressed and tired. I borrowed this. Well, I created this or amalgamated this uh, from the writings of Richard Rohr and a line uh, and a line from a podcast I listened to called Dungeons and Daddies. It's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast about four dads brought into the world of Dungeons and Dragons just for the record. It is a breath prayer that I say that Christ is enough. I am enough. going to be all right. Say that with me. Christ is enough. I am enough. It's going to be all right. I will breathe through that prayer for five, ten minutes when I, ha when I need to, when the world is just spinning and my head is going crazy. And when I say it's going to be all right, I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. I'm not saying it's going to be fixed. God doesn't promise us to never have suffering. Like, that's not a thing. I don't think it's all going to work out and be good. But it'll be all right. I'll get to tomorrow. I think. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Sometime in the fall of uh, 2021, when I was creating this class and thinking about, you know, hating life and all of that jazz, I heard this quote that was claiming to be from the trailer for Disney Plus's Obi-Wan um, miniseries coming May 27th. I don't know that that's true. I haven't heard this quote since, so it's probably a lie. But the quote really spoke to me. It says, there's this thing that swallows you whole. It holds you together while it's tearing you apart. And I was talking to my friend Adam, that, that, that quote just kept rolling around in my head, and I said, Adam, that is ministry right now. Ministry is my life. It shapes and has defined me for two decades. It is an art form that I live, that I breathe, that I'm not bad at. I'm not amazing, but I'm not bad at it. Every fiber of my being has been dedicated to ministry, and I am in love with that craft. And that craft is killing my soul. And I told my friend, I'm either burned out or I'm having a midlife crisis. And I told someone I think I'm having a midlife crisis, and they said, well, you're not old enough to have a midlife crisis. And I said, I'm 39 years old. You don't know when I'm going to die. For the record, uh, average American age is, uh, for male is 76, which means I'm past my midlife, so I'm going to have my crisis if I want to. Fun fact, I don't. I think I'm burned out. 
And burnout, um, let's talk about it, because we hear a lot about it. Ministers are leaving, nurses are leaving. My wife is a nurse. She decided to get into nursing during a pandemic. That's a fun story. Uh, Christina Maslach, uh, who created this burnout inventory, she says that burnout is a syndrome of emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and reduced personal accomplishment that can occur among individuals who do people work. It is a response to the chronic emotional strain of dealing extensively with other human beings, particularly when they are troubled and having problems. All right, so it is a collection of symptoms. That's what a syndrome is. It involves emotional exhaustion. You are tired, not because you've been lifting things physically, but you are just, you wear the weight of the world in your heart. It is depersonalization. Oftentimes, emotional exhaustion leads to that numb feeling. I swing between numbness and sensitive feelings all the time. I misread things and take them in. These last years, like, everything has been, like, on edge for me. And it's a reduced personal accomplishment. It's that feeling that what I'm doing doesn't matter anymore. And it's not significant. Another therapist that I listened to uh, on TikTok, just take that for what it is. His name is Matthias Baker. He's a delightful person. Uh, He says, he talks about burnout and says psychological disrepair in motion. It's when you're far beyond tired and the friction of moving forward produces emotional or physical damage so great that you start to break down. It's a world of diminishing returns where the strategies one uses in pursuit of a goal directly compromises one's ability to reach that goal. So I think about it like brake pads, you know, because I know so much about cars. If you knew me, you would know that I don't know anything about cars. But I did watch Tommy Boy a lot in high school, so I know something about brake pads. And I think about, like, like burnout for me is, like, when you press on that brake pad, it, you know, it wears on that brake pad. And the more that brake pad gets worn, the more pressure you have to put on that brake pad to produce the same results. And the more wear and tear you get, the more pressure you put. And that, in turn, makes it harder and harder to break. And good grief if that wasn't the last two years of my life. Sermon writing calling people, speaking to people, seeing people at church. Just seeing people at church was so difficult for me. I'm not an extrovert. I'm a social introvert. People exhaust me, but I love to be around them. But good grief. I have not loved being around people in a while. And that's, that's kind of where it's at. And so... That's how I feel burnout a lot, and, and some days I don't feel it too bad, and other days, on those days where I don't feel it, I'm so scared to try to, like, lean into the strength, because I don't know what I'm going to feel like tomorrow, and I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to feel heavy. So I want to talk a little bit about how I experience my burnout, how it manifests itself in ways that I practice to endure it, overcome it. Use whatever language you want. Let me say this at the beginning. If you are a minister and you can... I'm a crier. It's just who I am as a person. That's always been true. Um, If you are a minister and you can take a sabbatical, for the love of God, take a sabbatical. If you can't take a sabbatical, well, then I'm right there with you, and that sucks, and I I bemoan that, that way. But if you can take a sabbatical, do it. We do hard emotional work. We work with people in trauma, and that trauma wears us down, and we need to take a long extended break. 
if we want to do this. If you've been in ministry for five years or longer, you need to take a sabbatical. I hear they're delightful. So the way that my burnout uh, manifests itself, number one, I'm a face without love. I've never been super techy, but I've always loved a good whiteboard and an exo marker. In August of 2021, I sent my elders an email. I said, hey guys, we need to have a conversation. And I'm really big, <laughs> I hate it when people say, hey, we need to talk and they don't tell me why. So I'm really big on giving more information than necessary in the front end. I said, hey guys, we need to have a talk. I don't know that I love Jesus anymore. Which is a super great email to fill from your minister, I'm sure. I bet they were delightful to read that. Like, yay! <laughs> and I, I, I just, uh, like I started off with, I don't want to scare you. I'm not quitting yet. But here's where I'm at. And we need to meet and talk about it. And it's not that, and it wasn't, it wasn't that I was like, oh, Christianity is bogus, and now I'm going to be non-Christian. And it wasn't that I didn't think Jesus was Lord, and I didn't doubt the, the truthitudes of the resurrection. It's just that I was numb. There had been this unhealthy blur between my personal space and my job where I was no longer sure what I was doing as a part of my faith and what I was doing as a part of my job. The Bible became unreadable for me. I just couldn't read it without like thinking about how I would preach a text. In 2021, I spent uh, the entire year preaching through Matthew 5 through 7. There was a class yesterday that was like, preach through one book in a year. And I was like, challenge accepted, preach through three chapters. It was great, super fun. And uh, the Sermon on the Mount's all over the New Testament, by the way. It's just everywhere. It's also all over the Hebrew scriptures. It's so annoying. Because every time I tried to read, just to read the Bible, like, oh, here's a good point. I could include that in the sermon. I couldn't turn my brain off. And so I stopped reading scriptures, and my, my love for, for Jesus and for all the things in the job, it just, it just is sucking me dry. Now, the way that I get out of that is I enter into belovedness. The first thing that you do to enter into belovedness is you need to be compassionate to yourself. God's grace is sufficient for you. You are enough. Christ is enough. It's going to be all right. Brennan Manning sums up the gospel. I think he does this in Ragamuffin Gospel. He says the gospel can be summed up as God is love and you are his beloved. I was 21 when I read that, and I thought that was such a nifty phrase. I was working in a very legalistic church, and I was like, man, you guys should read this book. Now it's a lifeblood. Mark chapter 1, Jesus is baptized. And I love Mark's retelling of this story more than the other Gospels, because in the other Gospels, like, the Lord speaks, but there's kind of this, like, it feels a little separate. It's like, this is my son. This, this is my son, with whom I am well pleased. But in Mark, he says, you are my son, whom I love with you, I am well pleased. It's like for Mark, the father and the son are talking together. And before the ministry begins, God says to the son, the father says to the son, there's a theological struggle. 
I love you. You are my beloved. Long before you've done anything. He hadn't gotten to the cross yet. All throughout the New Testament, Paul uses that beloved language. And I think part of that is absolutely because that's what he feels to his audience. But I also want to imagine that the Lord speaks through that language to us. That we are as beloved as those first century Christians when God thinks of us. And so I want to offer you uh, two reminders and two activities for how we enter into belovedness. The first reminder is this. Meet your personal needs as you meet others. Somewhere along the lines, I got this idea that I didn't matter, that all that mattered was the church, and all that mattered was the, the needs, the needs of my teenagers when I was in youth ministry, the needs of my congregants now, teenagers included. But my needs matter, just as anyone else's does. It is okay for you to take a nap. It has to be like a good six-hour nap. Anything less makes you feel bad, but it's okay to take a nap. It's okay to take a sick day. It is okay to take vacation. I spent far too much time in ministry not taking all of my vacation days. That is, that is a bad way to live life. It's okay to take a sick day. It's okay to take a mental health day. That counts. I used to not do that. I, mean, I would like force myself into the office. Oh, I feel bad. But you know, what? I got stuff to do. The ministry has to go. The tyranny of Sunday is still on the horizon. That sermon has to get written regardless of how I feel. That's still true. I still write the sermon. But you know what? If I'm sick, I'm sick. If I'm tired and I have the time, I take the day off. Because I want to keep doing this for longer. And I can't, I can't run this race like this any longer. So, uh, two activities for you. If you want to look in your booklets, these are on the first two pages, I think. We, won't, uh, we don't have time to go into these very in-depth. I'm going to go five minutes over. Please give me that. Uh, the first one is a free writing exercise that is just intended for you to express yourself. Often I burn out because I keep my thoughts within myself. I don't feel like I'm allowed to share what I think. And so I silence my voice, which is weird for a preacher, but it is what it is. And so this free writing exercise, it allows me to express myself. And when you write it, you write it without judgment. You write it without guilt. Just feel what you feel. Just say what you think. Just tell your needs what they are. Give yourself a place to be heard. And if you have a friend who you can read this to, that would be very helpful as well. Uh, the second thing is to take a five-cents walk. I take a walk um, every day, sometimes more than once. And it's not for my health, it's for my sanity. The five-cents walk I really like because it invites us to stay in the present. A lot of my burnout also comes from the burden of tomorrow and the burden of a month from now. And so if I let my walks be that thing where my mind wanders to the things that stress me out, my walk is going to kill me. But if I stay, pay attention to my senses, right, like what I'm touching, what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, maybe what I'm tasting if I'm eating a tasty snack or if I'm eating an untasty snack, being like, why am I eating this? But, but belovedness comes out of presence, out of recognizing that God is present with you as you are where you are. And so I like this idea, and it's, it's helped me 
just to be grounded when my mind wants to wander away. All right, the second thing, the my burnout comes. This is cooler than it is, but I call him Shadow Kyle. You could also call him Negatile, not Kyle. I'm getting distracted. Here we go, moving on. Peter Scarzera in his book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, describes the shadow self as the accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives and thoughts that, while largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape your behavior. It is the damaged but mostly hidden version of who you are. So the shadow self, uh, in many ways, is actually formed in light of pain. It is a defense mechanism. My shadow self is that I am a people pleaser. I don't like making anyone unhappy. It's why I am a social black hole. Because I want to make sure everyone sees me and they like me and they want me around and I have to know they want me around whether they verbalize it or not. I'm going to make sure I get that verbal. That is one way it, it, it comes. And it's like I, I, feel, I easily feel betrayed and abandoned. And here's the thing, and this is why it led to so much burnout, is that when I pour myself into people, I expect a thank you. And if I don't get that thank you, I feel like they are my Judas. Even though we never entered into a contract where my nice things required anything from them, it is an absolutely unrealistic expectation and a very selfishly motivated service. I think there is a dark line that we're not ready to talk about where um, ministers are codependent on their ministry and their churches. And that's absolutely my shadow, Kyle. There was a conversation uh, in November of 2020. Some new thing had come down from on high about California and masks, and I don't, I don't remember. So we were having an emergency, emergency phone call, which we always had back in those days. And we had a friend, I have a friend who worked with the governor. Like he was like Gavin Newsom's right-hand man. He went to our church. Great guy. He moved to San Diego. Miss him tremendously. And he was both very helpful and very non-helpful because a lot of times he'd be like, hey, this new thing makes no sense. Can you work me, walk me through the details? And sometimes he was like, yes. But in this particular case, he was like, nope, I don't understand it either. Neither does the governor. I was like, that's not helpful. And so they were making these decisions and, and they were trying, throwing out these ideas. And I was just tired of the conversation. I was like, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do this because I'm the one holding this church together with spit and duct tape. I'm in the trenches every day. You aren't even coming to church right now. So why do you get to make this call? The fact that my elders did not fire me at any point in the last two years is a tremendous example of the grace of God. That's how I felt. And so the way that we move from Shadow Kyle, I mean, hopefully it's, you, you can have that name for your dark self if you want. It's a nice name, but preferably get your own. You learn to embrace your true self. Look, the shadow... The shadow is not a part of me that I'm ashamed of. And you don't... I don't hate Shadow Kyle. I actually really love Shadow Kyle. Here's why. Shadow Kyle, aside from his cool name, loves Kyle. He exists to protect me. He exists to survive. 
he doesn't want me to go away. So I don't throw Shadow Kyle under the bus. And I don't think you should throw your shadow selves under the bus because we all have them. They exist because subconsciously you want to do what all other human beings want to do. Live. Survive. You are normal for having a shadow self. We don't let our shadow selves run our lives because the shadow self is not healthy. But we don't cast the shadow self aside. Instead, I give my shadow self a hug because that's ultimately what I've always wanted. Is an embrace. So um, if you want to turn to your packets again, uh, I'm going to walk you through a prayer that I use to hug myself. It's a weird way of talking about prayer, but it is what it is. Uh, so this is really a centering prayer, and I combine this with the works of uh, Dr. Terry and Sharon Hargrove, who have this pain and peace cycle. Uh, they are doing a presentation at 2 today on that. You should really look into it. Uh, it's good stuff. Um, I took this, and, and there's a, some other prayers, and so I combined them to, uh, into this practice. And so we start by centering ourselves. Too often we rush into and out of prayer. Um, I try to get people who pray publicly at our church to wait 20 to 30 seconds before they start praying. But we center ourselves, we become aware of God's presence, who is indwelling us, who is around us, who sees us, who knows us. We invite God into our lives, into this space. Not because we have to, but because we want to. We then go and we name the shadow. What are you feeling? Here are some examples of things that we feel. We're not going to read through all of them. But we name these things because you can't claim something that doesn't have a name. Like, uh, I didn't like something last night, so I was talking to a friend about it. I was like, I don't like this, but I don't know why. And he was like, well, I do, because he's very good at wordsmithing. And so I just had this, like, weird, uncomfortable feeling. And so with your shadow self, that's a lot of how it is. It's just this weird, uncomfortable thing. And so these words help us put a name to that. Here's what I'm actually feeling. I'm feeling hopeless. I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling abandoned. Why am I feeling that way? What's going on? And then I confess, because the shadow self has probably brought sin into my life. I have probably done some un-Christ-like things, and so I confess. Not because forgiveness is required, or confession is required of forgiveness, because we have been forgiven through the grace of God. I confess because I want to release these things. I want to let go of these things. And I do feel bad for my sins. And then I embrace the truth. What is my true self? The self that God made. I'm loved. I'm accepted. I can make choices. I have agency. I'm never alone. And then I receive the truth of God on who he is. Because my true self is born and shaped and informed by who God is, first and foremost. What is he being my creator and all? And then if there's time, I think about how I want to move out of this space. How do I want to live differently? How do I want my day to go better? Maybe I need to apologize to someone. I've had to make a lot of apologies to our administrator over the last year. We've had two, so both of them equally. Because they get to see Shadow Kyle more than anyone else. 
And Shadow Kyle burns angry and is very condescending. And so I write down a few ways that I want to live out of that space, and then I try and actually live out of that space. And that's how we embrace our true self, over our shadow. Um, I have four. We probably only have time for three. Um, so here we go. We'll do the third one. And we'll do it real quick. I feel like I'm running on a treadmill some days. I think the, the hardest part for 2020 and 2021 was that I didn't feel like my work mattered. Like I had preached the gospel and I really preach Jesus. I try to mention the resurrection every Sunday, and I succeed, I'm pretty sure. But I saw these Christians who had been Christians for longer than I have, holding beliefs and saying things and saying ways that were as far, as, far from Christ as you could possibly be. And I was like, are you not listening? <laughs> have you not been listening for like the last four or five years? How in the world can you embrace this way of thinking in light of the scriptures? You have been a Christian for longer than I have been alive, and you read it so badly. I mean, you can't say that to people. You shouldn't say that to people, but you should. You should be able to say that. Well, that's a different, we'll get, sorry, different thing. So my work life was, was moving nowhere while I was working hard. My life was, my home life was super stressful. My wife entered into nursing school, and then the world went into a pandemic. Thanks. I wanted to spend more time with my son, but then the schools closed down. I didn't want to spend that much more time with my son. That was like an hour tops, Lord. Now it's like all day. And he's a delightful person some days. He's also a lot like me, and man, am I annoying. I love you if you're ever listening to this, son. Your daddy's special boy. So just all of that. I had no safe space. I had no third place to just relax. I was constantly stressed. And I was running on a treadmill. And treadmills aren't bad, right? Like, they, they have a certain context where they're good. Treadmills are great for exercise, I have been told, for people who like running, crazy people. But they're not great for getting to places. So what I'm having to do now is reassess. The reason that I feel like my life, my work doesn't matter is because I'm running after goals that I don't know are true or good or my goals or God's goals. I don't know that I'm embracing the things that I value. I don't know that the things that I'm doing matter as much. And so I have to change the way I run. I have to change the way I minister. I have to change the way I am a person. Forget the job for a minute. I just want to be a human being and to be a good human being. And sometimes that means I have to change that too. Uh, I've given you a, a link to this. It's a value assessment sheet. Um, it's, it's actually a book on burnout. At the end of it is a value assessment sheet. And the sheet helps me think about what really matters to me and how I spend my day. And look, there is no world in which I think you can just do the things you always want to do. You're going to do things in your jobs that you don't like, and that's just a part of life. But I think what's important is to measure how much of your job 
is being done on things that you don't want to be done? Are you giving your energies to the best things that you need to be giving your energies to? Or are you giving your energies to the things that frankly do not matter to you or to the kingdom? Like I said, I'm not done with ministry yet. I don't know how much longer I'll do it. I used to think I was going to be in youth ministry forever. I never wanted to become a preacher. And now I am a preacher. And I've been so for seven years. So hey, never say never, I guess. And there's a lot that I love about this work. It, it does hold me together. It is so wonderful. But I've also developed some very unhealthy habits. I am far more codependent on my church than I realized, and i got to work through that. And the reason that I kept going with this class is because I have hope. I'm not optimistic about anything. Senecile is real and very well named. But I am hopeful that God will still do something with my mess. And I wanted this class because I wondered if people felt like me or might feel like me one day, and I wanted them to know from the very beginning, it's okay. It's okay to feel this way. You don't have to stay here. You don't have to stay at your church. You don't have to stay in this space. You can endure. You can move forward. And I have hope that one day I will, that I won't walk so heavy, that I won't feel so burdened. So with that, I want to end um, with one of the things that I added to our worship service as a way of, one, I thought it was good, and two, I just I needed to take control of something. And so we end um, every service now with a blessing. It is a combination of Numbers chapter 6, a reference to Leviticus chapter 9, uh, and then the blessing of St. Peter. So um, if you would, all please stand with me um, as we end our time together. I'm sorry there are no time for questions. I'm not an expert on any of this. This is just me sharing my story and what I'm doing. I pray for you all. I hope that you will have a wonderful day. And with that, let me say this. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the name of the Lord be on your heart so that your ears may be open to hearing the word of the Lord, so that your hands may receive the work of the Lord, so that your feet may walk in the ways of the Lord. Christ before us, Christ behind us, Christ be with us. God bless you all. Have a wonderful Thursday.